So today's ad slot isn't sponsored. Instead, I want to tell you about a charity I work with who could really do with some extra help right now. I'd like you to contemplate for a moment about how you feel when you're really hungry, or if you have a child, how they behave when they're hungry. Terrible, right? Hunger affects everything. Behavior, mood, concentration, ability to learn. A hungry person, and especially a hungry child, isn't anywhere near their best self. Magic Breakfast provides free, nutritious breakfasts to over 1,000 primary, secondary, and ASL special educational needs schools across the UK. Every school day, they offer breakfast to up to 200,000 children. But it's also not just about the food. I've visited their schools and their clubs also serve as a place for children to come together, get support from teachers, catch up on homework, relax with friends, even get their hair braided. How needed is this charity? Sadly, very, and more so than ever. According to government statistics, before COVID, around 1.7 million children in the UK were living with food insecurity, meaning that they're at risk of hunger in the morning. That number is now looking closer to 4 million. And of course, with the cost of living crisis, it's just rising. I volunteer with Magic Breakfast. I'm on their development board, and I know the money goes where it's needed to supporting children, as well as lobbying for policy change to encourage the government to step in. Magic Breakfast actually always say that their ultimate aim is to make themselves obsolete, to end child hunger for good. If you have the ability to support a hungry child, please do check them out. It's magicbreakfast.com. Thank you. Through my career, I think it had probably been building, particularly in the last few years, and then COVID was such a sort of shock to the system just in terms of the volume of tragedy and the, and and also this new disease that we just didn't know anything about before. So that as we came out the other side, I had one bad case that sort of tipped me over the edge and and I just sort of stopped being able to function and, and uh, got into a kind of ruminating, anxious, self-blaming state. And, and it was, and then gradually, as, at the time I thought it was just one event, but gradually as it went on, it, like, it became apparent that, that this was, you know, this had been building for a while. Welcome to Priorities, the podcast about the things in life that really matter. I'm your host, journalist and coach Lily Silverton, and each week, along with a roster of incredible guests, I'll be exploring how priorities inform and transform our lives sharing mindset tips, strategies, tools, and inspiration to help you prioritize your own life. We'll be covering what we think is important and unimportant, what we'd like to work on a little more, and the moments that changed our priorities and lives forever. I hope you enjoy. My guest today is Dr. Jim Down, an author and a consultant in critical care and anesthesia at University College London Hospitals. During the pandemic, Jim worked on their busy ICU ward and his account of that period, Life Support, was published in 2021. He's now written a new book, Life in the Balance, which is really unflinching in its account of the realities of intensive care medicine. I loved it. Jim tackles questions of right and wrong, the blurred lines between life and death, the life expectancy of health practitioners and mental health in such a pressurised environment, and so much more. 
He also, as we discussed in this episode, has to make priority-based decisions daily at work. And I think the insights from his experiences will be helpful to anyone. And just to say that Life in the Balance comes out on the 23rd of February. So depending on when you're listening to this, you can either pre-order it or buy it now. I really do recommend it. Welcome, Jim. Thank you. Thank you for having me. How are you doing today? We're recording in the afternoon. How's your day been so far? No, it's been good. Yeah, um, uh, busy. Well, I, I, I've done an. Uh, um, just getting into news to this podcast world, which is new to me. Um, Has this uh, been your day podcasting? Yeah, well, it's my se- it's my second. It's not. I know. I mean, but I. Uh, but it's yeah. It's. Um, yeah, no, it's been good. Thank you. Good. Hopefully you're not like all burnt out by this point. And, uh... No, no, no. I'm still in the sort of, you know, beginner's nerve stage. Rather than... <laughs> um, so I start by asking all my guests whether they have any kind of routine in the mornings. But um, so, yeah, do you have any yeah. sort of morning routine? I've read your well, book. Which no, I've been I've been uh, I've been listening to your podcast and yeah. uh, it's very interesting. And and so I do now have a yeah, I have a. I never used to. I used to be a sort of, um, you know, do exactly what was necessary um, only. But now I I have become a full blown cliche, and I um, I go I at, at about five to seven every morning. I'm queuing in the dark with a with a bunch of old men and women to get into the uh, our local Lido. Um, so uh, um, that's yeah. So I do that pretty much every morning unless I have to get to work too early and um, have a sort of a, a plunge in the in the cold water and then uh, come home and, and I'm completely out of kilter with the rest of my family because I'm absolutely <laughs> hyper and they're all <laughs> the exact I've got two um, teenage twins who, who are you know you can imagine that utterly uh, well they just want to be asleep at that time of day so there's a there's a a, a sort of big disconnect but it's it's nice actually now they're very used to it um and then and i've also recently in an attempt to be more healthy i've, I've become a porridge convert so i do that as well so i'm a full-blown middle-aged cliche <laughs> do you have the whole kit out do you have like the boots and the hat and the dry robe so i have um i wear at the moment it's it's cold and mm. i wear gloves and boots but I shamefully not. I mean, I I slide into the water. I don't uh, dive in. So the there's a really nice bunch of people there, and um, some of them have been doing it for like 35 years, um, and they all dive in. But um, I think that might be the end of me. So I uh, I slip in, but I do stay in a bit longer than them. That's my that's my repost. <laughs> I absolutely love um, cold water swimming. Ah, uh, do you? Yeah, I really do. But I don't, um, I mean, obviously there are always excuses because this podcast is about priorities and you can make time for things, but I've got two quite small children. So the sort mm. of opportunities to go first thing in the morning, which is ideally when I'd like to, and um, and do it and not very, no. not very there. There's nowhere that close to me as well, I guess. How, how old are your kids? One and a half and four. Oh, yes, no, it's a different... That's a very different time in life, isn't it? Very I don't think I'm going to be able, being able to do it then. We're the opposite. But it's interesting because it, the the you say about the morning. I mean, it it's totally. If I don't get to go, then then it's unlikely I'll go. It's 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 part of that is 
you know, it's the routine. It's it's the people. You know, it's a very they're a very nice bunch of people, and there's no sort of uh, there's no match. It's just uh, it's a sort of just a guaranteed laugh. You know, the nice people. So I so I do it for all that as much as the the cold water, if you like. Um, What's the effect been on your on your mental health doing it? Well, it, it, I I started because I was in a bad uh, a, a phase of bad mental health, and I had a I was in a period of anxiety, um, which was sort of overwhelming at the time. And a friend of mine, who's an actor, uh, does it. He gets he got stage fright, and he started doing it. Uh, and because we live very close to the light, it used to pop into us and shiver quite often afterwards. And I was thought it was, you know, crazy. Um, but at that time, I thought I'll do anything, uh, and it was amazing jumping in the first time, which is nearly two years ago now. Uh, it was the first time my head cleared because I just focused on staying alive, <laughs> um, and it was wonderful. And that was and so I was sort of an instant addict because of that, um, sort of just forgetting about everything. And it seems uh, it seems to still be helping. I mean, I don't know, but it seems to be really. Um, it just, it seems to set me up for the day, you know, it wakes me up. It's a routine. There's lots of sort of little aspects of it that just seem to start, start me off on the right foot. Do you feel like an ice bath would do the same or is it something about the swimming and the community and. Yeah. Yeah. So I couldn't, so I know that people have, there's a big thing for cold showers, isn't it at the moment? Mm-hmm. Um, but I've got two problems. That One is that was a punishment at my school. So I think I'd I'd have terrible dramatic <laughs> flashbacks, um, and it was a quite you know as you can imagine quite a progressive school, and um, and the other is that I think if I wasn't like swimming as fast as I could, it, I wouldn't be able to tolerate it because um, there are people who go to the Lido and and just stand, you know, in some sort of Zen state, and I I don't know how they do that. I uh, I have to be swimming as fast as I can, which is very slowly. <laughs> So you've actually said to me um, that one of your priorities is your mental health. So you've mentioned cold water swimming. Obviously, I mean, you have a job which by anyone's standards is pretty demanding and has been even more demanding over the past few years. Um, I just finished your book last week, Life in the Balance, which I really, really enjoyed. And I'm conscious I'm asking quite a few questions at once here, but my... (laughs) my, uh, my my main question is, what else do you do for your mental health to support yourself in this very demanding work that you do? Yeah, so I um, I mean, I've always been a, an anxious person. Um, I think you know, ever since I was a kid, I, I, I and and it was a and it's a strange relationship because, in some ways, it's been helpful uh, in that it's pushed me to do things. You know, I was always sort of looking for fires on the horizon and putting them out. Uh, and and to a certain extent, that got me through exams and all those kind of things quite successfully. But it, where as I as I through my career, I think it had probably been building, particularly in the last few years. And then COVID uh, was such a sort of shock to the system, just in terms of the volume of tragedy and the and and also this new disease that we just didn't know anything about before. So that as we came out the other side. I had one bad case that sort of tipped me over the edge and and I just sort of stopped being able to function and and 
got into a kind of ruminating, anxious, self-blaming state. And and it was and then gradually, as at the time I thought it was just one event, but gradually as it went on, it, it became apparent that this was you know this had been building for a while. And I I had some help, had some sort of talking therapy, um, which was really helpful at the time. But as soon as I walked out of the room, you know, about ten minutes later, the the cycle of negative thoughts came back. Um, so it, eventually, I ended up doing the swimming and and taking antidepressants and that combination really helped me you know i don't know if it's for everyone but but it's i was really surprised by the antidepressants in that they they seemed to give me a bit of objectivity a bit of space to to sort of rather than be in the middle of the cycle of negative thoughts i could kind of stand back from a bit from it a bit um so that was really helpful and then i mean the other things i do i you know i'm i'm a i do quite a lot of exercise generally that that's sort of really helped me and at the moment I'm sort of seem to be okay and I and I am trying I mean my big problem is uncertainty I have a real problem with dealing with uncertainty I want to rule out all uncertainty which is not feasible obviously but um and I'm sort of like trying to come to terms with that that's that's a big kind of learning thing I'm trying to do at the moment. how are you trying to do that <laughs> that's a really good question <laughs> Well, um, yeah, I mean, there's what's well, this serenity prayer, isn't it? Is is uh, and I and I think it's distinguishing the things you can control or can change and can't change. And I, I suppose it's that uh, I, I mean, with work particularly, the big problem for me is is um, whether I'm good enough at it or not, and that's really um, because. Although there's often not a right thing to do, whatever you do choose to do, you know, will have a might have a, a very serious impact. So that's a so you know you might have two choices that have both got got um, problems and benefits, but then which one you you don't know which one is going to be the right outcome, and that's uh, that I found really difficult. But I think it's just I think I'm what I'm trying to do is just accept that you know. Uh, I'm very lucky. I've got a lovely family. I've got lovely colleagues. Um, I, I've just got to accept that you can't control everything, and and uh, and you know try and live within those parameters. But that's you know that's working at the moment. I don't know if it's going to work for long. Um, this as well, um, and I think you touch on it in your book to some extent, like with your work or well, anyone's, I suppose. Yeah the more, the better that you get at it, the more that you do it, the more sort of almost emotionally fallible you become with it. Where at the beginning, you've got sort of like arrogance of youth and just all guns blazing right in, whereby the more that you do it, what I've understood from your book, the more that you've done it, the more that you've experienced loss and, and change and shifts and uncertainty and that lack of control, the more that you're, I don't know, arrogance of youth sort of starts to drip away yeah i mean that's definitely true for me and i think it's and i wasn't expecting it um i'd assumed i'd become and i think i probably write this in the book i'd assumed i'd become this you know wise elder statesman that people would come to and i'd be able to go yes my child you know and all this <laughs> and in fact um uh the anxieties just shift to a different a different form so 
I think there's one thing in that in that you feel more well because the patients are now more my own age, most of them. So when you're 25 and they're 70, they feel like a different species. You know, I mean, you, obviously you care about them, but but they're not they're not your peers or anything. Most of them, and the ones who are are so unlucky. They feel you know you feel um, that they don't. It doesn't refer to you. But obviously, as you get older, they come closer and closer, and uh, so that's odd because the decisions feel much closer to home uh, but also the the you know you've seen you've been surprised more you've seen really unlikely things happen and so so almost the more you the more you do the less sure you are about it as you say because that arrogance goes away and I and I've seen this in um you know some of my really respected colleagues in the last few years and I'm not in the last few years yet, but in, in the, have have struggled more and more with decisions because they I think they feel the weight of them mm. uh, more, um, and that's got good and bad sides. I think you know it's it's good to to be be thinking obviously very hard, but but if you get but to a certain point, you know a bit like the sort of anxiety curve. If you get to a certain point, you stop you stop being able to function. So you have to keep an eye on it. And I think that's, I mean, I'm quite lucky because I've got quite a lot of younger colleagues and, and we can sort of, you know, debate with each other, which is quite helpful. But yeah, no, definitely hasn't hasn't got easier or, or at all. Hey, if you're enjoying the themes in this podcast and want to delve a bit deeper into prioritising your own life, come on over to my Substack Prioritise This, where I release weekly essays, voice memos and coaching questions on priorities, habits, values and generally the stuff that makes for a better life. Search Prioritize This on the Substack website or app. I'm curious, because you've put mental health as one of your biggest priorities before this um, period that happened about two years ago. Would you have said it was anywhere near the top? That's a good question. I, um, I've, had, I've had periods of, of, um, of, of anxiety or, or you know, um, related to to life events but i wouldn't i'd uh i probably wouldn't have put it no i probably wouldn't have been um i thought i had it under control i thought i had a system that was that was okay um you know i you know exercise routine work you know i had had things that um my kids etc um and i suppose this event was 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 a real wake up to how vulnerable that is um so yeah probably probably not no probably not do you feel like it's given you a much broader understanding perhaps of some of your patients yeah well i i think um i mean it's it's interesting with with patients i mean i because my patients are so uh sick um i i'm always reluctant to and, I mean, I obviously try and empathise with them, but to try and put myself in their shoes, I always feel a little. Sometimes at night, I think, I think, you know, as I'm in my lovely, you know, bedroom, I think of them stuck with lots of tubes and wires in. But, but it, I think that it's very hard to imagine being in those positions, isn't it? Until you're in them, I think. I think what I have thought is, uh, I have thought about colleagues and other people who have, um, you know. Uh, it's uh, who who have suffered with with. I mean, I mine was not that bad, you know. I I never felt 
I wanted to take my own life or anything like that. And I always wanted to get better. So I'm not claiming to have had a terrible period of mental health, but it really, but it made me realize how desperate people must get. And, and I, I remember um, after when I wrote that chapter in the book, I, I read it out to our department because well, for a start, I thought I had to be brave enough to do that if I was going to publish it. <laughs> um, but also I thought I just made me think, oh, I wonder how many other people are, are feeling like this, but don't feel they should, you know, feel okay to share it. It was a, it was a daunting prospect, I'd say. Okay. Um, what was but, the you process of oh, carrying on? Sorry, I was going to ask you about the process of writing the book. So you go first, if there was a. Um, well, no. So, yeah, I mean, I, well, I um, it came out of the first book. So I wrote a book just after COVID uh, about COVID, and uh, at the time, the um, the agent who very kindly took me on uh, said, "You know, would you well do you, do you want to write another one afterwards?" And I remember going for a run and thinking, oh, "Well, I really do, but what am I going to write that about?" So I um, so I tried to come up with a sort of format of of using cases to. Uh, to illustrate the things that, you know, confuse or stress or um, uh, worry me at work and gradually sort of came into a, to the structure. And I, and then the other thing I, at the time, I, I remember thinking, what, how, why would this be interesting? And I thought the only thing I can, I can do is be as honest as I can, you know? Uh, so that was really the two things that, um, that's that started this book and then um but funnily enough i'd written some of it before i knew where before i got ill and then so it was odd or not you know before i had a, a bad period um so it's sort of that came i mean i stopped writing for a while but then came back to it when that had happened so it's sort of it sort of weirdly fitted in a way with the with how the book with the structure of the book i suppose I mean, making... I've been trying to write before very unsuccessfully. Uh, <laughs> so I wasn't, <laughs> so I had been having a little bit of practice. So what, how do you made notes for years or do you just have an incredible memory? No, I, um, so some of them, so some of the very old ones, I mean, the first thing I wrote about in the book is just one of those things in med, in life that you just think, oh, I wish I hadn't done that. And it just stayed with me. And I can still, I've got a kind of photograph of that, of that moment of someone saying, you should have told me about this, you know, these things kill people and uh, just feeling like an idiot. And and also sort of taking on how serious it was, you know, um, uh, so that just stayed with me. And and, um, and then other bits, um, funny enough, a, a lot of them came from giving lectures. So I, uh, at the time, gave a lecture about the train crash, and I gave a le lectures about the London bombs and lectures about Litvinenko. So I had all that sort of documented in there, and then um, and COVID, obviously, I wrote about. So so it's sort, of, sort of from a mixture of things um, and bits and bobs I've written down over the years. Yeah, in in other forms, trying to work out how to write. So it's <laughs> some of the basis there. Yeah. Yeah. I was reading it, just going. Does he remember all those conversations? <laughs> well, I mean, yes. Well, you obviously the ones in the books are the ones I remember. I mean, they, you know, some of them are a little bit paraphrased. Obviously, don't tell anyone. <laughs> but uh, but um, 
and, and, and the cases are not, some of the cases amalgamated because of the confidentiality. So, the, mm. so the, the sort of the, you know, the, the, the have had to change things because, uh, although some, quite a lot of, quite a few patients have, and relatives, in fact, have, um, have given permission, which has been amazing. Um, and so, and I've been in touch with people I hadn't spoken to, you know, they're one of the victims of the London bombings. Uh, I saw at the inquest and then I rang literally, you know, four, five months ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, hopefully I'm going to go and see, see them up at, when I go up to the Hay Festival, going and meet them, their parents, which is amazing. Oh, nice. Yeah. So you actually put, um, as, as one of your other priorities, writing and work, which you said feed into each other. Yeah, well, yeah, I um, it's really interesting being asked your priorities, isn't it? Because um, it makes you think, oh, I should have different priorities. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my priorities should be world peace. And, you know. <laughs> um, but uh, so I was trying to be honest. And um, and I think I have this kind of, um, you know, I quite like having a structured bit of work and then, uh, and I, but I've always had this hankering to do something sort of creative without meaning to sound, um, you know, like a sort of whatever. But I um, and so so quite so now um, the uh, the writing is a good a good sort of um, yin and yang with the work, if you like. And I have a couple of days uh, a week because I work, you know, weekends and stuff. I often have a couple of days in the week where I can just sit down and write. Um, and it's usually about work at the moment i'm trying to write fiction but that's difficult oh, really difficult everyone has an idea for a book yes but not necessarily <laughs> a book, though. yeah so i suppose i was sort of getting that they kind of feed off each other mm. well the work that you do is very creative presumably like within the, the confines yeah i mean it um yeah but you Yes, I suppose it is. I've always had this hankering to produce something, I suppose, um, uh, which is why books, you know, is a solid thing that you. I mean, it, it is, of course, and 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 you know, it, uh, I mean, yes, it, no, it, it is, but it's different. I suppose different form of creativity. Um, it's, it's interesting. I don't know why. Yeah, I, I like having the. I like the structure of a of a place with lots of people, but then I love going sitting in my office on my own and tapping away. Mm. I find it interesting that you um, talked about thinking about your own priorities because, as far as I could tell from the book, a lot of your work simply is prioritizing the yeah. whole time, constantly. Um, so, in my mind, you're an expert at that. Yeah, but. It was really interesting writing. So uh, there's a, a chapter about um, the daily struggle about beds, um, uh, essentially prioritising what you're going to do with your limited number of beds with limited number of staff. And um, and this is a thing we do every day, particularly in the winter. You know, we, we, we spend more time than we'd like to working out who we can, you know, which big operations we can do and which we can we have to put off and uh, and as i was writing it i realized the more you think about it the more complicated the prioritizing is and you can end up you know going round and round in circles with the 
benefits and the harms and the possible harms and the you know the what and, and it was and it was a really good exercise for me because it, it made me realize that um it, it's sort of infinitely complex um but you've got you know we've got to get on with the day so you so you're you're just having to find that balance um so yeah i mean we do yeah we do have to prioritize a lot and and i think we have to accept that you know particularly at the moment obviously but but healthcare is limited um how much we'd love it not to be you know unless we spent the whole gdp on the nhs it's, there's always going to be more you could do i think mm. you good at prioritizing your own life personally um i am i good at it i i'm good at aspects of it i'm quite i'm good at doing the things that i know so i'm good at going getting up and going for a swim i'm good at doing exercise every day what i'm bad at is uh i'm not i'm really impatient and i and i i hate um i i hate when i'm like that with the with the kids and i don't relax into time with the, I mean, you know, I do, but, but I, but I find that difficult to sort of think I'm just going to absorb and, and love this time with the kids, which is like what I want to do. But I, but for some reason that that process I find really difficult um, because I feel like I'm always telling them to do something. And I, sometimes I just wish I would stop doing that and go, let's just not do anything. <laughs> Which is what they want to do, obviously. I think you are definitely not the only parent that feels that way. <laughs> yeah, but it's hard, isn't it? Because then they so because we've got twins, so they they get older at once, obviously. So these stages are gone, you know, in in um well, every stage is gone every day or whatever. So so you so you it's yeah, I wish time would just stop for a minute and I could go, I'm just gonna enjoy this. Mm. Um not going to worry about making them brush their teeth and go to bed or do their homework or whatever it is. But, what would happen if you did that for a day? Well, if I just let them do what they want, yeah. they wouldn't come home. <laughs> <laughs> They'd be hanging out in Camden till three in the morning, I should think. That's yeah. what I did when I was younger. So it is it. <laughs> I really support that. Well, they do it pretty much. Yeah, already. Um, <laughs> did you? Is that where you were from? Yeah. Ah, right, right. Ah. Do you find it easy to relax? Um, I I do if I'm doing something. So I I find activity relaxing. I'm terrible at sitting on a sun lounger. I can't I can't get. In. When I was about eighteen, I went to Australia and. Uh, went straight to the beach and surfed and and then came out in blisters all over my body and spent about a week in bed in agony. Um, and I've basically avoided the sun ever since. Um, <laughs> and I just can't, I can't, I mean, I love reading. I suppose reading is the one thing I can sit and do and, and I can watch telly for hours like everyone. But but I, I uh, relaxing for me is usually doing something, I have to admit. Mm. Same for many people. What about switching off from work? Yeah, it comes and goes. I, I mean, that's 
interesting. I, I um, as long as there's not some something there that's hanging over, I'm okay at it. But if there's something there that's worrying me still, that's really difficult. Uh, and that's why I couldn't be a GP. I, I think GPs are amazing because they they're constantly having to make calculated risks. Take you know, say this, you're fine, go away. If it doesn't get better, come back. I'd be thinking, what if it doesn't get better? What if it doesn't? You know. Mm. Um, and I know that's tough on GPs, and I, and I, so if I have something like that, uh, I find it difficult to turn off. But if I think I've put it all reasonably, you know, left it all reasonably tidied up, and I, then I'm can usually turn off. Mm. So it's like those clear boundaries that the ICU gives. Yeah, I mean, I think that's right. I think even if the stakes are so high. Yeah, but it is contained and it's immediate. Mm. I mean, people are there for a long time, but. But the things you do, uh, you you can see them, you know, you can see the change in front of your eyes, and I like that. Um, and then, and we sort of quite clearly delineate, you know, we we cover it for a while, and then we pass it on to a colleague, um, and then we'll talk and stuff. But it, but you know, you so you do have your responsibilities quite circumscribed, if you like, which mm. which kind of suits me. Do you have any tools that you use to switch off? Um, what uh, well, not very clever ones. What do you mean? I have like um, so definitely. Uh, if you ask my wife, she'd say you come in, say hello, and go straight out running. So I do that, <laughs> and it's really unpopular. But I but now we've agreed that when I get back from running, I'm a much better person to spend time. <laughs> so she now, if I don't turn around and go out running, she says, "Oh, don't get get out of here." <laughs> um. So I'm good at that. And I have a kind of, uh, I have a nine o'clock, um, you can watch TV thing. Do you know what I mean? So at nine o'clock, you don't have to achieve anything else in the day. <laughs> um, but I don't have any, I, 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 my, I, she, she tried to get me to do yoga quite a lot. I don't know, are you a yoga person? Mm. Or are you? Yeah, you see, I should be doing yoga and I can, and I, but for me, yoga is, it's just being in agony because I've got, which is really bad because I need, which means I need to do it, doesn't it? But I, but you know, the, even when they're saying, and now just relax, I'm thinking, I'm not relaxed. <laughs> what are you talking about? Yeah. I'm actually, I, I trained as a teacher in 2016. Right. Um, I don't teach very much anymore, but um, if you're a runner, then yeah. yoga is particularly painful. Um, and important. And important, yeah, in terms of keeping you healthy and moving for life. I know, I know. I'm but, again. Um, yeah, I try not to talk about relaxing too much when I did teach because I knew that for a lot of people it wasn't a relaxing experience at all. No. Oh, I see. But it, right. It's, it, do you do the sort of mindfulness with it kind of? Is that a little something? bit, yeah. Right. I mean, I, I can really... Separately. Um, again? I teach mindfulness separately. Oh, right. But yeah, I try to, I mean, I don't teach much anymore, but I did try to integrate it. Maybe you could find a yoga for runners class. Yeah. Specifically. I mean, the other thing about it that's really interesting is that I, um, that I felt so self-conscious. I went to this class with my wife and, and it was in a village hall. It was incredibly relaxed, but I felt you know, like 
you're terrible at this. And all these people are really good at it. And I, it's ridiculous. There were about eight people there who would, couldn't give a monkey's whether I was good at it. But you know what I mean? You feel, just think, why can't I do that? Mm. So I really need to do it. I'm going to do it. I keep telling my wife I'm going to do it. And now you've said it, I'm going to do it. There's lots of good, I can send you one if you want. There's a really good Yoga for Runners online one that you can do. Oh, really? 15 minutes when you get home from your run, yeah, to, to build up. Okay, and you should do it straight after a run as a warm-down type thing, stretching. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Maybe even get your wife involved. Okay. Wants to do it with you. Oh, great. Well, I shall do it. So Are you a runner as well? Uh, no, every time I go running, something messes up in my body. So oh, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love it, but every time something happens, um, I danced when I was younger, so I think most of my joints are just too, too vulnerable to, to entertain running. Too, too flexible, you mean? Mm-hmm. Really? And they've taken just a bit too much impact already. What kind of were you a ballet dancer? No, contemporary. Oh right. Mm. Wow. So we've talked about your wife, which brings us onto your third priority: family. Yes, yes. I mean, I, um, well, I think that's slightly, uh, it's interesting because I've got teenage, my kids are 13 now. Uh, and so there's that, it's that stage of, of, um, of letting them go to a certain extent, um, and knowing how much to, and trying to decide how much influence you have and how much you should have. And, and um and i find that quite complicated um so my my son is is our son is quite um you know he he's he's quite gentle and and he's fairly useless but he's lovely and he'll you know <laughs> he won't listen to this will he, he um uh, but he you know he 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 he's quite malleable and 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 people pleasing and all that and and my our daughter is is very um a very strong willed and, and opinion and again lovely but very sure of what she wants and uh and it's really i find that drawing that line about how how much free reign to give her quite difficult um so so yeah so i'm doing a lot of thinking about that at the moment i suppose um and and i think it's yeah, it's hard, isn't it? Because there's two of you, different two, you know, two parents with different views on what what should, what is and isn't a good idea, and so there's a lot of sort of finding our way through that, I guess. Uh, but we see it's going okay so far, I think. <laughs> um, and then the other, I suppose, the other bit I wrote that is because my my mum died last year, uh, and that was a uh, you know that makes you think about family a lot and and think about my dad on his own so that so that's all you know the extended family's all in my mind quite a lot I suppose um uh, but he's got a new family of Ukrainians at the moment so he's uh, oh I know that's amazing it is amazing yeah it's challenging I think but it's amazing yeah it is amazing yeah he's right you actually, when I asked you in advance if you'd had a moment where your priorities had really shifted and you thought about the world differently, you actually talked about your mother. So do you want to talk about that a little bit more? I feel like some of your insights would be really helpful. Yeah, me. so I think, um, so I suppose the thing about my 
mum was, um, was that she was so fit. And uh, so when she was 75, I guess, she was, you know, she was as fit as anyone in our family. She could walk 30 miles, play tennis for hours, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, and my dad was actually had lots of, need to have lots of joint replacements. So if anything, he was the less fit one. Um, and then she got um, dementia and she, it, pretty rapid. So she died, I think, within about six years. And for the first four of those, she remained physically very fit, but her, obviously her, her brain deteriorated. And, and I... It was a it was a shock to me because I, uh, you know, she's the glue that held our family together. Really, she was the sort of, um, you know, she was the one always looking out for everyone else, and she was incredibly, uh, you know, amongst some quite fiery people. She was the sort of stability, and um, but she never wanted to talk about it. She was always interested. She never wanted to talk about her illness, and she never talked about it. She never really. Even when she could, she never missed it. So there was a complete shift in our family dynamics, um, and it, it made me, you know, obviously I I I felt sad uh, about losing her, but but it was a very gradual process, and and now I find it quite difficult to hold on to. It feels like sand going through my hands a bit because I because you you know trying to think back to the to the person before is quite uh, quite hard. So it's just, I don't know, what has it done? It's made me appreciate what, what I've got. It's made me feel a bit more vulnerable about the future. Because um, I've also got a, a great aunt who's 110 and going strong. Wow. <laughs> I know, I know, it's really weird, isn't it? 110, I mean, she must be in the top 50 or something. Um, uh, so there's a bit, you know, so I had sort of thought, I had quite good genes and and um and then I saw this happen to mum who'd seemed so sort of invincible that it, it really it just made me rethink really about what you've got, how 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 temporary everything is, um and uh and how you've got to get on with it, I suppose. Um and and in the end she you know, she had a she was well looked after and um she died very peacefully but it was it was yeah it was it was it was odd because I I'm so used to being around people who are dying and and seeing relatives react and then when I was there myself I suddenly understood why they react like they do so even though I knew that she uh you know that we shouldn't take her to hospital or anything because she was dying of this disease it was incurable for a moment I wanted to scoop her up and take her to ITU and put her on a because I just couldn't bear the thought of it. And I suddenly got, and that's what how I see relatives do that quite a lot. They totally accept it uh, logically, and then suddenly they get panicky and want to do everything. And it suddenly, that, you know, that really became clear. So it was it, it were lots of things that I sort of learnt from it, I think. Um, uh, but, yeah, one of them was definitely understanding people's reaction to to the end of life, I guess. Mm. I'm sorry for your loss. No, thank you. No, I mean, yeah, um, thank you. And I'm sure that perspective has in some way, you know, deepened your 
connection to your patients. Yeah, I think that's I think that's right in a way. I mean, I a few years ago, I um I decided that um I do when I first qualified, I thought when you're telling bad news or breaking bad news, you should be very, you know, um, unemotional and uh, you know express your condolences, but not show emotions and. And then I sort of changed and thought, well, is that, you know, that does that seems a little bit cold. And and so now I don't, if I don't, you know, I don't force emotions, but if I do feel emotional, I don't sort of uh, hide it. And and I, and and when my mum died, the, the carers in the home were very upset. And I found that incredibly lovely. And, you know, the, 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 the thought that they liked her and, cared about her and you know I mean I don't go to the funerals of my patients but they came to the you know uh, it, it was just so I thought actually why wouldn't someone want you to be upset it's um I mean I always felt guilty that I was making it about me which is ridiculous but you know, <laughs> well, but you know I thought this is my place to be upset but but actually I think generally not always but generally people are, are pleased to see that you that it's affected you yeah absolutely to see that to see that human side yeah yeah so that was certainly that was certainly my my feeling when it happened Mm. i'm curious whether you have we've talked about priorities i'm curious whether you have any values that you think about often either in your work or your life oh yeah well uh oh gosh i mean yeah, definitely. I mean, I um, I suppose it means what you mean by values. I mean, I I was brought up a Catholic, so I've got all sorts of um, issues there. <laughs> um, I mean, I'm an atheist now, but I'm a Catholic atheist. Um, so I, um, yeah, and I spend a lot of time thinking about my values and uh my patients' values and their relatives' values and whose are the most important in that situation. And, you know, there's a big thing in, in my work about when does a life still have meaning and when is it just cruel to uh, to keep pushing someone through, you know, because IT is horrible. I mean, there's no getting away from that. I mean, we try and make it as unhorrible as possible, but it's but it's not. You know, no one wants to to be on ICU, and that issue about you know when is the the suffering too much for a small chance of benefit that um, we all struggle with that all the time. And of course, different cultures and people have massively different views on that. Um, and if someone wants to stop, but that's very easy. You, you know, we don't make people have anything but if they want to go on and on and on and on that gets more and more difficult and um uh so i and i yeah i don't know where i am on that still you know i my i don't know it's really hard because the other bit on it as well is is that it's usually not the person it's usually their family that are, are saying they want to carry on and on and so you've got that third thing that's it's not actually them telling you, which is, so I, um, I don't know if I've answered your question, but those are the things that, uh, I don't know what other, yeah. Um, 
that's what I, those are the values I struggle with, I guess. Mm. Are those values? I don't even know if they are yeah. values. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Open to interpretation. Yeah. Yeah. Jim, what's um what's something that's not a priority to you at all? What couldn't you care less about? Well, I um so I I mean I, I, this stuff is my thing that um but uh so I I don't get you know um watches and cars and things like that and I really don't really get um like posh wine and posh food and um now there's a bit of a caveat to that because um because if I was left on my own um I think I wrote about I did in this book or the last one you know when I lived when I lived on my own before I was saved by my wife I uh I you know had two microwaves on top of each other and that was my tricking, you know. I wasn't, I was surviving, but I wasn't perhaps thriving. Um, and, you know, the, my house was painted colours that I never, I just hadn't thought it needed change. So, so what I'm getting around to is that my wife makes our environment very lovely. And I don't want to sound unappreciative of that um, because I, you know, it's, it is lovely and I know that it makes me happy. But I suppose I, I don't have yearnings for for kind of sort of possessions. And I don't mean that in a in a holy way at all. I just, you know, if I get something like that, I usually lose it or break it or uh or worry about losing it or breaking it. Just doesn't they just don't give me pleasure really. And I, I yeah, I don't want to clear I'm not I don't want to live in a in a shed in a hair shirt or anything, but I you know, it, that, I guess that's my, that's my, um, yeah, that's that's something that I don't prioritise. I suppose has that always been the case? Well, it, I mean, it 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 had. I, it, well, I used to um, I used to pine for things, but then when I got them, like even toys as a kid, I'd I'd really want something, and then when I got it, I'd um, unless I could kick it or ride it or you know what I mean or do something with it i i i usually lost it and and so part of this comes out of the fact that i'm not very good at looking after things <laughs> <laughs> you're too busy looking after looking after people better at looking after stuff. Yeah. Yeah. i hope so <laughs> that anticipation right i read somewhere recently that like the most the day that you're most excited and happy about a holiday is the day before you go so true so you might have a great holiday, but it's really like that anticipation and the brain just loves the idea of looking forward to something rather than the reality, which is fleeting or doesn't quite match up. Well, I, I mean, so I think, so I once had a, I, I mean, so take going on from that, I had a lecture, it was um, at a medical conference and someone said, all you need in life to be happy, as if I'm going to cure it with these three things, is um, something to do someone to love and something to look forward to. I'm sure that's everywhere. But to me, I was like, that's mm. how I feel. And I often go back to it and think, you know, um, but um, uh, but there's a brilliant thing about the um, holidays. Have you read um, Kahneman at all? Yeah. Uh, his thing about the remembered, what is it? The lived experience and the remembered experience, I mm -hmm. think it's yeah. And, you know, holidays, he, he says, you know, when you look at people on holiday, they're generally arguing, <laughs> but then they look back at it as an amazing time. Yeah. 
And it's so true. And there's so many things like that, aren't there, where you where your remembered experience is different to your lived experience. Mm. And which and then he has this big question about which is the important one. Mm. And I don't know, I don't know the answer to that. But yeah, it's definitely I agree. It's that moment before it happens, isn't it? Mm. Final question for you. What's something you would like to prioritize more? Oh. Have I, have I, what did I write? I can't. You did. So you actually said that you'd like to um, stop eating meat. Oh, yes. Was what you gave yeah. me. Oh, so I would, yeah. I mean, I would really, um, that's what I feel guilty about. And um, we're trying to do it in our house, which is quite interesting. Uh, <laughs> the trouble is, is I really don't like lentils. Uh, um, <laughs> There is like more to vegetarian food than. Uh, well, I I know <laughs> I know, but we had a discussion last night that at some point you've got to start eating lentils as well. Mm. Because they've got a lot of protein, have they, or something? Mm. Um, so I've got to find a way. So no, I I I it's I um it, it it's yeah it is I I should stop eating meat and I uh, are you a vegetarian? No, I used to be. Oh, did you? No, I'm less so. I went, I started eating meat during my first pregnancy again. Oh, okay. um, in fact, we found out I was pregnant because I went and ate meat at a barbecue and it was really out of sorts. Obviously, I hadn't done it in years, so we knew something was up. Oh, you went and ate it just yeah. like my, my now husband found me like eating a burger in a corner and he was like, what are you doing? <laughs> and I was like, I don't fucking know, but like I need this burger. And the wow, next day, that's how you realise you're pregnant. He suggested, he suggested, yeah, that we did a test. <laughs> Um, also, you can't see this coal. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, but now I do, yeah, I do eat it, but on a, like, not very often. Well, that's, I mean, I think, I think that's what I need to, to get to. Um, yeah. Uh, I, I, cause I, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's just, I, I, that was my blind spot, as it were, that I, or my ignored spot of, you know, I just completely excused it all the time and, and I realised that that's not really on anymore. Okay, um, well, now you've put it, like, out there to the whole public, so... <laughs> yeah, but, you know, in the privacy of my own kitchen. <laughs> I know, I get totally setting myself up to fail. <laughs> Aren't we all, all the time? <laughs> um, thank you so much. Your your book, Life in the Balance, comes out on the 23rd. I got that yes, right. 23rd of February. 23rd yes. of February. And um, I absolutely loved it. So I hope everyone who's listening to this will go and grab it. There is it's beautifully written. And there's also some very memorable and um, insightful stories in there. So, yeah, thank you for writing it. People no, thank are really and thank you for talking to me. Thank you for having me. Take care, Jim. Bye bye. If you enjoyed this episode of Priorities, I'd really appreciate it if you could make it your priority today to hit subscribe and also rate and review as this helps other people find it. Thank you so much for listening.